0: Welcome to Share the Mic. This is a time for conversation between Southern black and white friends where we get to ask each other questions that we hope will help our communities better understand perspectives, create empathy for people of different colors, and be one more step towards eliminating racism. Uh, Today, my guest is Antonio Walls. He is a professional basketball coach and functional fitness trainer out of a for One in the Glen Iris area of Birmingham. Welcome, Antonio.
1: Thank you for having me, Ms. Libby.
0: Great. Well, um, we met in Woodlawn a few years back. Can you talk a little bit about our first meeting and what ran through your head when you first met and really how our relationship has evolved?
1: Um, we, we were getting ready to work out. We was doing a workout together. Um, I was like, hey, man. This middle-aged white lady, she's full of energy. Let's see where it goes. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was with a, a, a mutual friend and a pastor. And um, you actually, you, you outworked him that day. Um, I remember that. Oh, Jamil. Oh yeah, yeah. Jamil. yeah he was like, yeah, Tony. I haven't done this in a while. I love so. that.
0: Well, I looked at you and I was like, man, this guy is fit. <laughs> he is strong, <laughs> and uh, I I, can, I need to just try and keep up. Well, so thank you. You too can. That, that was good, <laughs> really good. So. Um, uh, anyway, Antonio, um, my first question for you today, and let's have a conversation about this. You've told me you grew up in the central city of, of Birmingham, Metropolitan Gardens, which was a former low-income housing uh, project that actually later was torn down to make way for the Hope 6 Urban Renewal Project. Tell me about your um, your days as a kid there. Did you have dreams of leaving that community? Uh,
1: at, at an early age, I know it sounds cliche, as people always say, Dream right mm-hmm. but I'm in the projects wondering where my next meal will come from, who my dad is I don't have time to I didn't have time to dream I wasn't afforded that opportunity that time to dream mm. um, so it wasn't until I you know got in high school and got exposed to different things via basketball um, that I realized man my world is way bigger than my surroundings wow. right now
0: did you feel secure there growing up?
1: I felt secure that I was going to have a place to stay, but, you know, I watch people get murdered every day. Mm. So security to me was that was kind of that would be a false sense of security. Um, Even in my home, I wasn't secure because, again, they get to shoot and they can come through the house. So um, I was too busy being a kid.
0: Mm -hmm. How did it feel to leave that behind?
1: Bittersweet. Um, bittersweet because I had some good memories there, um, made some great friends, but also it was it was not conducive to a lifestyle that I wanted to live.
0: So you knew you wanted yeah. a different lifestyle. And when Metropolitan Gardens was demolished um, and you know re- rebuilt as Hope Six, how did that make you feel?
1: I was sad for a lot of people that wasn't in my position. Um, by the time Metropolitan was demolished, I was um, scholarship athlete at a university. Um, I was kind of on my way to living my dream, but there was a lot of people who were still stuck there. Um, I, I viewed it, the projects as modern-day plantations. Mm-hmm. They were set up to keep you there. It wasn't necessarily set up for you to, to grow and to move on. So there was a lot of people that when that happened, it changed their world for the worse because yeah. they didn't have another place to go. I mean, people have been living in those projects for 20 30 years,
0: right? So, so you're one of the blessed ones to get out.
1: Yes, definitely. But, definitely. What was your household like growing up? Um, how did your family view the black community?
0: Well, this is kind of a hard conversation here because, um, sometimes I'm almost embarrassed about it. Um, to tell you the truth. I, I grew up in a white suburban neighborhood in Atlanta, Georgia. I was privileged and, um, there shouldn't be shame in that, but for some reason, I think my family does have some. We just feel like we are—we have been so privileged. So, you know, again, we were um, isolated um, uh, in, in, in terms of color. Um, there really weren't any big racial issues that we experienced um, until I was in high school, uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute. My paternal grandparents were Southern Baptists, and my grandfather in particular was a believer in his all-white church's strict interpretation of the bible strict interpretation that's that's key Um, the way they interpreted it Um, this meant that he was anti-semitic and not just regarding uh religion but also race and uh, he he was against any other form of religion besides his own um, especially catholicism and judaism and um, his disdain for people unlike him and of other religions um, included any person of color such as blacks, Asians, Jews, and Catholics, among others. So that's what my dad was exposed to as a kid and his upbringing. And thankfully, he was a little more progressive than his father. So unlike Daddy Bob, as we called um, my grandfather, uh, my father uh, would likely not have been thought of as a racist at that time. Mm. Um, But he did cross the line, and I witnessed that as a kid. So he would tell anti-Semitic jokes, racist or female insulting jokes. And I would say he was prejudiced about many things. He believed that also the male was the absolute control uh, head of the household and women should be subject to their husbands and meet their needs pretty much in every way. So that was the, back then, their traditional family. Um, I grew up, um, um, and my sister, as we got to college age, um, we did witness my father changing He began working with African-Americans and women in his business and his clients, and so he changed with, really, America changing. So to say people can't change, um, that would be untrue, Uh, but, um, you know, it it wasn't a radical change, I wouldn't say, but it was more of an adapting to what was going on in our nation. Uh, But on the other hand, my mother, I think this is really important, um, Tippy. She grew up in a small Southern North Carolina town. So you would think that she might have had some of those same biases, but she didn't. She was far more progressive and she would have been thought of, um, she would never have been thought of as having bias. Um, In fact, I think her friends probably thought she was a little radical. Um, She interacted with African-Americans in her family's business. They had a restaurant and they worked alongside blacks. She did as a kid, they all did the same jobs and they all worked together so she had a very opposite sort of working class perspective, and um, that many times was a source of tension in our family. I witnessed many uh, arguments between my parents, and uh, but my mom, she's strong, and she, um, her convictions were that not one of you kids is any better than anyone else due to the color of your skin. So I'm really thankful for that. You know, and I spent a lot more time with my mom growing up than my father. So my siblings and I really never got white supremacy. Um, We just, you know, we witnessed racial prejudice, surely, especially with my grandfather and, and my father. And we knew it was wrong and we knew it was ugly because of my mother. One last thing on this, and that's that we had a housekeeper, a live-in housekeeper, Lucy Ford, um, when I was young in my elementary years. And Lucy, um, while my mom was working, she she was the head of the household. She um, ruled us kids, lasted kids with an iron, Iron hand, and in fact, she uh, loved this dogwood tree where she could get her switches, and we got a good switching across the back of the legs many, many a time. And she called us these great names like big haid, and dirty little rascals, and other other things. But um, she ran the household, and we respected and loved her. And my mom never questioned her reprimanding of us. So um, again, I was unaware of those racial issues until I hit high school and I went through busing. And it was just a completely new experience to have black teachers and black uh, classmates. But it wasn't a big issue for me. Uh, So no big problems. And unlike other places like Birmingham, where it was a big issue. So I'm really thankful to my mother and all that she taught me and, and my siblings about embracing people of color and that we were no better. And really, I think that's contributed to why we're having this conversation today.
1: Good. Your mom sounds like a great woman.
0: She is a great <laughs> woman, Tippy. So, on that, Antonio, how do you feel about white ministry in black underprivileged areas of Birmingham? Is it a good thing, or does it prolong a racial divide?
1: Well, I think love is good. The more love we can have, the better we are. Um, however, the ministry side, the witness is hurt. Has been hurt so bad for how the white community has behaved when it comes to religion and the black community, that I'm a little skeptical at times. Um, And I'm pretty sure a lot of people in my community are. um, Because you got to remember, this is the same God, this is the same Bible and Jesus that was used to oppress people for years and still do to this day in in some areas. So I'm a little skeptical about that um, but love is needed. Um, growing up in the projects, I remember as a young boy, um, in the summer, a 15-passenger van would pull up, and we have these white kids come out, and they would do crafts, and they would feed us, and um, you know, a month later, they were gone. Um, next year, there was a whole new crew coming, so um, we didn't really have a connection with them, I think there has to be some accountability. Um, you have to you have to come in and empower the people. Um, you can't just come and say, "Hey, we love God, and so kumbaya." Come on and trust us.
0: Pat on the back, right? And it, I'm it, done.
1: Right. It it has to be some 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 real lessons per se. And what I mean by the lessons, most time, the white minister needs to listen with. black community one thing I will share here in Birmingham the greater Birmingham area um, a pastor I won't name the church um, because I'm not trying to embarrass anybody Um, but this pastor he was just coming to Birmingham and I was a part of a a Birmingham leadership experience and um, and I wanted to meet this guy because he was powerful speaking he he talked about frugality self-discipline, things that I was struggling with and I could relate to. But he was a white minister in a white church. And so one day I, I said, well, can I have a meeting with you? I wanted to talk to you because um, he made a statement that, you know, George Washington Carver was one of his heroes. And so, you know, I, I wanted to check this guy out, you mm-hmm. know. And I go in his office and um, he got Robert E. Lee and he got, you know, all of these these Confederate guys on his wall and he got this little bit of picture of George Washington Carver and so I was a little skeptical and we had a conversation good conversation I love um not feeling too comfortable to bring my other black friends to this church because again that's why I wanted to know more about this guy because how am I going to bring my my friends to a church that really don't want us there so I say it to say say this two months later I see what this guy's hanging out with the sons of the confederate Uh -uh. and so that's the problem you can't you can't be a part of the ministry and still powwow around with the things that are ugly and and not good in our society that's just like me saying yeah i'm gonna gonna be a better guy i'm gonna i'm gonna do good but yet i'm still gangbanging and doing things that are that's gonna call harm to me or other people. So I'm, I'm still a little skeptical of of the white ministry coming to the black community only because um, their motives. Um,
0: Understandably so, and thanks for sharing that. And I think it's important that people in leadership positions in churches, especially in ministry, hear that. So um, that's, a, that's an important story that you just said. And so when there's this embracing of, call it Robert E. Lee, or these old Southern Confederate um, generals or monuments, how deep that goes and how hurt and how it seems the opposite of what is biblical, of what we're instructed to do. doesn't seem like love, does it?
1: Right, not at all, right? And you just hurt your witness, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I think it says, the word says, it's easy to to win a fortified city than a brother that you've wronged. So. What is the end game for you, Libby? What impact are you hoping to have in the black community? And what are you doing to empower the people that you're trying to help?
0: So to me, the end game is equality. It's a big dream um, for people of color. And um, I want people of color to have the same options and opportunities and benefits that I have had growing up in a middle class white family. And so some people would say that's <clears throat> too big of a dream, but I just, I don't think so. I think that's something we have to strive for. And for me, the the quickest way to get there is to empower people of color. Um, my particular area that I think it can level the playing field is in education. And so, you know, providing better educational opportunities um, and also eye-opening and enriching experiences. Antonio, you talked about when you went off to college and how yes. your eyes were opened you know, I think all kids should have that opportunity. And, um, you know, again, how do you get there? I think that's one way. There are many ways, I get that, but that's one way. So I'm just one person, I know that, um, but I'm part of a community, um, a common thread community that's working to provide alternative education options. They have a school, uh, Chase School, that they've um, moved to Tittisville of recent, and that's a diverse um, teaching base. Um, it's in the middle of the community so kids can walk there. Transportation's not an, uh, an issue and they're in the middle of the community. So that's a good thing. It's good to have good schools in our communities, in I the guess. middle of our communities. So, you know, I'm supporting that in every way that I can. And then also my mother and I um, separately um, support kids in their education at Cornerstone schools, and that's a private K-12, mostly African-American Christian school. And we work with some of those kids on their college experiences or even jobs coming out of – not every kid has to come – go to college you know we know that not every kid is actually prepared for college or should go to college so trade school is just fine that's another area that common thread is involved in is trade school so how do we give kids abilities to have jobs to be entrepreneurs to to um have again all the same opportunities that i had and there are many different routes to that but education and training is one that i'm involved in thoughts on that
1: my community are hardworking people, and we don't want any, we're, real, we're willing to work for it. And so I think what you're doing is awesome. We just want access. We just right. want the same fair shake that the next man gets.
0: No handout, but opportunity. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Great. So, um, Antonio, what one thing would you suggest could help bridge the gap to bring racial harmony and bring uh, whites and blacks into better relationships?
1: Well, I think the first thing is what we're doing. We have to have conversations. We have to have meaningful, truthful, vulnerable conversations. Um, that's the start. Um, I, I look at it as um, all the conversations you don't have, those are missed opportunities. and so I think that's the start. Um, then we have to we have to admit where we're wrong, and I think um, this is not as bad as white America um, or anything like that, but we have to own. Stuff, right? You know, that's what you teach your kids. That's what I would teach my kids. When you're wrong, own up to it. And so there's been a lot of stuff that went on in America, and we don't have to dive all into it, um, even to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, But there has to be someone to stand up and raise their hand and say, you know what? Hey, we were wrong. Now let's figure out a way to to fix this.
0: So many people say, why don't they just get over it? You know, why don't they just put that behind them and just move on? And You know, it's not that we have to dwell in the past, but I think you're right. We have to admit um, what wrongs have happened and take ownership of that and say, how do we change and move on? So I, I love that.
1: And you never, you never hear about a white guy, a white male or a woman creating some type of fun for the white kids, right? it's only in the black community where we have to have these lebron james or michael jordans we have to have someone to raise up to inspire us to help us because there's no other help from anywhere else mm-hmm. and so um I, harmony that's a big reach um i'm hopeful i'm hopeful um but yeah that's that that's a that's a big reach but i think if we have more conversations like me and you're having um, and people are honest and don't get defensive and let's just, you know, get in a room. And let's deal with what we need to deal with. Then I think we, we can get there. I think we can get um, to a place where I think there will be more harmony than strife. So what motivates you to become active in the black community? What made you want to help?
0: Well, Antonio, from a pretty young age, my heart just hurt for people of color that were in oppressed-type situations. And so that just turned into a passion for me. I I don't really know where it came from. Again, I probably would attribute it to my mother. But um, I became involved through church, so that was, I think, good. Um, And for some reason, people that were black that are in in underserved, poor communities drew me in. And um, again, not just to show up once, but to show up consistently and to build relationship. So, you know, the injustice that kids experience daily is just wrong. And I was passionate about that, and I wanted to do my part to help. So I try and use my passions uh, in serving the community. So Christ Fit, this 501c3 that we started seven, eight years ago in Woodlawn, was a, was a big passion. It was, a, again, functional fitness nice. for kids. We created a gym, free for them to go to, but really it was so much more than working out. It was about building relationship. And how do we empower those kids to go elsewhere, you know, to, to, to grow up, but to have those opportunities. And were we able to give them every opportunity that our leaders had had? Absolutely not. But were we able to provide additional opportunities and relationship and options to help them with jobs or college or mentoring the the answer is yes and fitness you know that was the the byproduct of it all a lot of them learned about crossfit and how to work out appropriately and and uh, to to do things in the right way but it was just so much more so you know as I said some of those kids have ended up in college and they're working but um, we're still in relationship with them I'm still in relationship with a lot of those kids and that's meant a lot to me not, but it's not just a feel-good to me, to see them blossoming as young adults. Um, and they didn't all blossom. Let me just say some stayed back, and they didn't want those opportunities. And that's okay. That's, a, that's someone's choice. But those that um, took the ball and, and ran with it, you know, they're doing really good things. And so it's, it's great to see that you can um, teach a kid to fish. And, um, and they'll reel them in and they are, so
1: that, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's what it's, that's what it's about. Um,
0: so, you know, today, this has been a great conversation, but to wrap up, I want to make sure you get to talk about any, anything else that's on your mind. So, this is well, your time.
1: well, first is it's tough to talk about all of the issues in, the, in, in, Black community and harmony between whites and blacks in 30 minutes. So, you know, we were just having a conversation that I think will go a long way. Um, for me, I'm privileged in some ways um, because I've had some powerful people, um, you know, white people. I can name Cindy Kirkpatrick, Craig Matters, um, Corey Kearse, um, Libby. Um, I've, I've had some impactful people in my life to help me, um, black people, Jeremiah Castile, Gerald Austin. So I've been, my life is not typical. I'm privileged in a lot of ways that. Especially
0: for coming out of projects. Yes.
1: Coming out of projects. I've been afforded situations that a lot of kids or a lot of people would never get. And I've squandered some and I made good on some of them. Um, but I just, I think these conversations are needed and I just wanted to, you know, hopefully the viewers will see that. I'm just a regular guy that just grew up in the projects, and um, I just, once I started dreaming, I never stopped, and um, I manifested through my thoughts and my beliefs the things that I wanted in, in, in life, and I think that's the same for everybody else.
0: So I know you're very interested in serving the community as well and giving back, yeah. that you were one of the ones um, that was um, the kids that were blessed to go on to bigger things, to go to college and and to do what you're doing now, being an entrepreneur. But um, stay tuned for uh, Antonio's next gig <laughs> because he's got some very big dreams and passions um, in ways to serve those kids um, in the projects that he was able to get out of. So we're really looking forward to talking about that more, Antonio. So thanks so much for being here today on Share the Mic.
1: Thank you, and it is awesome, and I'm grateful for what you're doing. Because of what you're doing, sharing the mic, giving me a platform to speak, and for you to speak also, I think that's a start for what we're trying to get to, which is equality for everybody.
0: Absolutely. Share the Mic was recorded at E3 Studios in West Homewood, Alabama. Co-production, recording, videography, and editing are by Ronnie Gatry. Share the Mic was created and produced by me, Libby Lassiter, with the help of my many black and white friends. <laughs> do, 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 do.